Welcome to Word Salad, where we ask whether we speak language or where language speaks us. Every episode, we bring you stories of how words define our lives, who we were, who we are, and who we want to be. Today on Word Salad, we have three segments. First, our salad bowl. In the salad bowl, I talk to Victor Egorin Echais, Jade Roche, Jarrett Mansell, and Avishta Siras, all students at the University of Alberta, and all people who identify in one way or another with the word Creole. Next up, the dressing. Here, we bring you some personal stories about Creoles, the mix of languages and cultures that make up Creole culture. Finally, last word. Last word, we talk about one word that's bugging you or simply interesting you. Today, we talk about the word redneck. What you've just listened to are various expressions of Creole. Creole language, Creole music. What does that word even mean? Now, the English word Creole derives from the French Creole, which actually comes from the Portuguese word Cria. A Cria was a person raised in one's house with no blood relation, a servant. This word morphed into criolu by the Portuguese in the 15th century in West Africa as they engaged in the slave trade. Originally, though, criolu meant descendants of Portuguese settlers who were born and raised overseas. Miscegenation, an old word for racial mixing, started happening really quickly all over the Americas. So we get a lot of confusion, in which Creole can mean a fusion, a hybridization of cultures and languages, or it can be synonymous with African descendants and the French-speaking Americas. In any case, Creole cultures are almost always a medley of Native American, European, African, and even, as we'll see in this program, Asian influences. My name is Dr. Russell Cobb. I'm a professor of modern languages and cultural studies here at the University of Alberta. So let's start our journey through the world of Creole. So to just start off, what does the word Creole mean to you as an individual? Victor, does the word Creole mean anything to you? Well, for me, in Peruvian Creole, I would say it's more of a cultural mix a form of a form of mixture of the culture that just makes a, a different, unique one. Jade, when I say the word Creole, what does that mean to you personally? I think Creole means a blending of different cultures and backgrounds, and Trinidad is so unique because it's got so many different cultures. Like the the Spanish came first, and then the Dutch were there for a while, the English came and they brought over African slaves and they also brought over indentured laborers from India. So you've got this small, small little island that has such a unique blending of cultures that produces such a strong identity. And when you hear the word Creole, do you think of language? Is there a Trinidadian Creole? Yeah. So when I think of Creole, I think of language primarily because 
it's English and it's got incorporations of Spanish as well as it's got this very distinct way that it's spoken. It's it's a sing-song accent. So even though, you know, you, you hear somebody from Trinidad, they're speaking English. It can be hard to follow sometimes because there's so much slang and there's just such a strong, strong accent. Were you brought up with that? Yeah, so I'm a second-generation Canadian, and my mom's side of the family is from the Caribbean. My grandparents came over here to study and ended up in Edmonton. It it was very interesting being brought up because I the one side of my family was a very traditional white upbringing, and the other side was this crazy Caribbean family, and we'd have these big dinners and everything, and there was always yelling and screaming, like, there was always a fight during Christmas. Did, there still did they is. get Did they get along, the two sides of the family? It, it was just very different. Like, Christmas at my grandparents' house with my, with my mom would be very different than, than with my dad's family. Uh, Avishta, does the word Creole mean anything to you? Creole is a language. It's my mother tongue. And where I come from, uh, which is Mauritius, very small island in the Indian Ocean, um, it is also, the term is also used to refer to a people, a race, which as far as I understand, we refer to the people of either direct or mixed African ancestry. We refer to them as Creole. So one of the things that's that's really interesting about all this is that when you look at Latin America, the term Creole was originally derived in colonial times to talk about the people of European descent, but they were born and raised in the Americas. So they wanted to differentiate themselves from the Europeans, but they also wanted to differentiate themselves from other races. And this is where we get a really tricky notion that we're still grappling with today of racial categories and castes. And it's really interesting that the idea of caste is often associated with India, but caste as a concept was invented by the Spanish, the idea being that different races had different classifications, different ways of being, and that there was a hierarchy of castes. Some were clearly better than others. Now we're in a, we're in a multicultural country, here we all are, of different backgrounds, dealing with this legacy of this term that comes from Spain, from Portugal, was exported around the world, and now we've all wound up here. So I wondered if you guys could talk about how you relate to one another in terms of, of, a, of, a, of a Creole background. And to be clear also, Mauritius, we're talking about a small island nation off the coast of southeastern Africa, Trinidad and Tobago, a small island nation off the coast of Venezuela, half a world away with these incredibly similar histories in a strange way. Do you guys feel like you have any kind of an affinity? I think the food. The food is extremely, extremely similar. And we use the same terms as well, just because um, the foods that are similar anyway, um, they are they come from our Indian ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you mentioned roti earlier. And yeah, like I eat roti at home all the time still because my mom makes it a lot at home. What's a roti? <laughs> it's, What's in it? Oh, gosh. It's like 
it's like a bread. Like, I guess the best way to describe it is it's sort of like what you would have as naan bread, but usually eat it with like curry and chickpeas and everything and wrapped up. And Is it like a hot pocket? Isn't it? Isn't it like a like a bread that's like non, but it's baked, and inside it is the filling, and then you bake it, or no? So roti, even though we use the same term, it means different things. Um, a roti for like Jamaican or Trinidadian food um, is basically a very large type of like pita bread, and inside of it there is uh, a type of um, grain, like it's called dal. And uh, which basically is like a type of chickpea that's inside that's like grounded. And then you just put it, uh, you do like little, you obviously like put spices and stuff in there. And you, you put it inside of uh, uh, of the dough. And then you just flatten it out and just cook it, like fry it. Or sometimes it can even be just put on like a, a type of grill or something and put oil on it. And that's basically what the Trinidadian mm-hmm. or Jamaican um, roti is like. Food is one thing that even though you're of three three generations of immigrant experience, so Avishta, who's an immigrant, Victor, who's first generation, and Jade, who's second generation, you guys all still relate to, to food uh, as something that you can relate to that is from the country of origin. Is that is that true? How do, how do you, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, something we've always, always had at our house was uh, proving food, like all the time. Proving food and the music that my dad played as he was cooking the food, right on the radio. He's not that talented. <laughs> he put he put it on his phone or something and put it on the. But yeah, and uh, so always, if I were to ever identify myself, it'd be proving Canadian. Unless Peru's soccer team plays, and I want to identify myself as Peruvian. Then, if the Cubs can win. Peru can win someday. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're probably going to do a 216-year drought. <laughs> we're twice as bad. <laughs> I think that's interesting because I haven't been to Trinidad since I was a young kid. And I couldn't, I probably couldn't communicate with people. They would know. They would see right through me. Really, the main things that I know is the stories and everything that I was brought up with. And the little pieces of creole that would get thrown into everyday language like can you throw a piece of creole into our conversation here i always remember when i when i didn't have my my hair brushed my grandma would say that she'd say brush your hair you're looking like a wahoo what's that it's like it's just like a crazy person like (laughs) wahoo where does Um, that come from I'm actually not too sure where it comes from, but it's really interesting because the word is still used today. Like there was a an article in the the Trinidadian newspaper down there, and it said something about where who's trying to smuggle in pigs to Trinidad, and so the term where who in that case was being referred to Venezuelans on the island. So crazy people coming. <laughs> <laughs> Su 
What you just listened to is a sample of a popular Peruvian Creole song called La Apañadora. This cover is performed by Felipe Alberto, a young musician living down in Calgary. Felipe Alberto is my uncle. We as a group decided to talk to him about the Peruvian Creole music and the Creole culture in general because of his extensive knowledge on the subject matter as well as the fact that he has a first-hand experience on the popularity of the Peruvian Creole culture here in Canada. Felipe, thank you very much for taking the time to be able to speak to us here about the Peruvian Creole music. Victor, it's an absolute pleasure to be here and uh, to discuss something which is a deep passion of mine. All right, so uh, let's get started here. What is Creole to you, the Creole culture? I could go on for hours about what this is. You know, the word that we use in Spanish is criollo. It does have ties, of course, to the word that you're using in English, which is Creole. In Spanish, criollo means someone who is of Spanish ancestry, but that is born in the New World, or someone who is of European ancestry, but is born in the New World. In the criollo culture, I suppose, specifically with respect to Latin America, and more precisely with respect to Peru, criollo, the word in and of itself, it denotes a fusion. It shows the fusion of the European roots, in this case, Spanish roots. In the music, you can see this in the way the guitar is strummed and a European sort of chord structure. And then you take that and you fuse it with the way of singing, which is Andean. In many respects, is almost a lament. You sing and there are moments where it's as if you're crying. And that is something which is very traditional of the Andes. And the third component of this fusion is the African influence, particularly with respect to the percussion of it. In an instrument such as, for example, the cajon, right, which literally just means the wooden box. I guess that's a very long and roundabout way of saying what is criollo culture. Um, to me, it's a lot of things, um, but particularly with respect to this music and with respect to Peruvian culture and Peruvian identity, what it is is a medley of African influences, Spanish influences, native influences, um, and even, you know, in Peru, with respect to the food, you could even say Asian influences. Well, Felipe, I think that's all the time that we have today. So I would like to thank you very much for taking the time to, to speak to us and, and the listeners. Uh, will definitely really appreciate hearing a different perspective, I guess, from somebody who's so, so close to the proving Musica Criosha. Thank you, Victor. It's, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to be able to talk at length about something which is so close to my heart. Thank you. Pero en caballo de paso llegó el apuesto patrón y se fue con Asunción y se fue en su caballo y se fue con Asunción a pañar el algodón a pañar el While Victor may have only traveled to Calgary to interview his uncle, it was representative of a culture of Creole about 8,000 kilometers away. From here, we're going to look at a different kind of Creole culture in Mauritius. Now, this one is twice as far away, and geographically speaking, almost two continents separating the two, with Peru being on the west coast of South America and Mauritius 
being off the east coast of Madagascar. What you've just heard is a song, Angela, from the band Caloose. As you may have guessed from the reoccurring theme in this show, the band is singing in Mauritian Creole. In the following recording, Avishta and I will be co-interviewing her father. Siras. Uh, I came to Canada in 2005. Originally, I am from uh, a small island in the Indian Ocean. It's uh, Mauritius, uh, located uh, around 850 kilometers east of Madagascar, uh, around Saha, Africa. What would you say the culture is like on that island? In Mauritius, we have people coming from India, from uh, China, and uh, from Africa. And of course, uh, those who were there before were white people from France and, uh, and from England. So there's a big mix of all these races uh, back there in Mauritius. Uh, and uh, people speak uh, different languages over there. We have the Indian language, we have the Chinese language, we have African, uh, which is not exactly African la language uh, anymore. It's a mix, a big mix of French and uh, and Indian and, and Chinese and, and different uh, Indian uh, languages. So this makes the mix in Mauritius. We have what we call the Creole language. Uh, the Creole language is mostly a mix of uh, African and French. So the slaves, those from Africa, were trying to speak the, 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 the French language because at that time uh, the slave owners were French people and uh, the Africans had to understand uh, the way the French people were speaking, so they, they tried to speak the French, and uh, then it became the badly spoken French. So for us, it's uh, mostly a French-based uh, language, unlike uh, in Seychelles, for example, which uh, is a group of islands north of Mauritius. Their, their language is more English-based uh, Creole, uh, in Mauritius, we were mostly French-based Creole. So if somebody understands uh, French language, they can easily speak uh, the Mauritian Creole. It's, uh, Mauritian Creole is about 75% French. Do you know of any other types of Creole cultures in the world? And if you do, can you maybe draw some type of similarities between your Creole uh, well, Creole culture is quite widespread all over the world. There's this uh, Creole culture in every island uh, wherever colonial powers have implanted and they've brought in slaves to work in the fields. So that's uh, everywhere there is this uh, Creole culture. There's uh, Creole culture in Mauritius. There's Creole culture in the island of Réunion, which is not far away from Mauritius. There's Creole culture in Seychelles, Creole in Haiti, 
Creole in Martinique. Uh, I don't know. Well, there must be some other countries in the world, world where Creole is spoken. And uh, wherever the slaves were working for French people, the Creole is quite similar. Uh, Mauritius is found in the Indian Ocean, and uh, Haiti is found in the Caribbeans. And uh, they speak almost the same Creole as we do, which is quite surprising because there was never any link between Haiti and Mauritius. It's interesting that you mentioned you have this, um, this drum here, and, and actually you've, you've pulled it out so that we can actually see this and experience this. For the listeners, it almost it almost looks like a, a tambourine. It's uh, it's got little metal plates around the edges. It's fairly large. It's bigger than a, a bus driver's steering wheel. That's for sure. So, I will try to sing something and play a little bit of this uh, drum for you guys. Finally, we bring you last words. In this segment, we talk about one word that's bugging you, interesting you, or really, really annoying you. A word I wanted to talk about on this first episode of Word Salad that, that, I, that has been circulating around that I hear a lot is redneck. Where does it come from? So I did a little digging around. I found that, that like a lot of interesting words and words that are, have been gone from slurs to being points of pride, there's a huge discussion about where does this word come from? Some people say that it comes from South Africa and it was actually from Afrikaans and the Dutch Afrikaans were ridiculing the English soldiers during the Boer War of the late 19th century saying they didn't, they didn't apply a sunblock. They left their sons, their, left their, uh, they left their necks out in the sun and they got burned and they were the first rednecks. But then other people say that it actually comes from the late 19th century in the United States. And there's two disputing theories there. One is that there were these uh, farmers that were out in the sun, obviously working as sharecroppers, their backs bent over picking cotton and they got sunburned. But another theory is actually that they had a disease called pellagra. And this manifests itself with a red rash. And the doctors saw it and said rednecks. They had red necks. But then it gets even more interesting because by the early 20th century, 
a lot of these same people were union members and they wore a red bandana to identify themselves as part of a union. And they were a, a solid part of the Democratic Party of the working class back when the South, and now it's very Republican, but back then it was all solidly Democratic. And they were all members of the Democratic Party and this red bandana identified them. And in fact, there was a famous senator from Mississippi, James Vardaman, who said, you know, wear your red bandana to identify you as part of the working man's party. And they wore these red bandanas around their necks, red necks. So again, disputed theories about where it comes from, but was initially used as a slur, a way to put people down. White people who were not necessarily the most civilized or cultured people. They were working class. They were poor. They were not educated. Now, though, and uh, I'm here. I'm going to turn to my my uh, managing producer, Jarrett. What is uh, I mean, redneck? You, surely you've heard the you've heard the word redneck. What do you associate with the word redneck? Well, um, t- two things come to mind when I first think of it. One is obviously the amazing comedian Jeff Foxworthy, who plays on that term quite a bit uh, in a comical fashion, but almost as a pride. I mean, he identifies himself as a redneck. You might be a redneck if... If you've ever been accused of lying through your tooth, (laughs) you might be a redneck. Yeah, for sure. And it's got certain sort of connotations behind it that that he's turned it into sort of a funny comedy. Um, The other image that comes to mind is, if you've ever seen, um, I believe it's Zombieland, no. Where uh, the guy opens the door to a Hummer and he sees a giant package of uh, duffel bag of guns and, and he looks at it and goes, man, I love rednecks. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the thing is now in popular culture, redneck is kind of it's a point of pride. It's a, it's a it's it's also a punchline. Right. It's a punchline to jokes. It's interesting, like like some slurs, if you called somebody the slur. You might end up in a fight. But I, I don't know about rednecks. If I called you a redneck, Jarrett, would we get into a fight? No. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, you're like, no, because I'm not a redneck. Yeah. But if you called a redneck a redneck, maybe some of the same people who identify themselves as redneck, if you called them redneck and you weren't a redneck yourself, you might be in some trouble. I mean, I don't know, though, because... Would a redneck be proud of being a redneck no matter what? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a redneck, so I can't really. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. I, th- I thought of this a lot. I'm reading a book right now, a really interesting book. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of people's uh, bestseller list. It's called J- it's, uh, J.D. Vance, and he writes this book called Hillbilly Elegy. And it's, uh, it's a very serious memoir about growing up poor and white and working class and you know, he transcends all of his upbringing. He goes to Yale Law School. He's a, he's a very successful guy. But uh, one of the things he says in the book is he says, yeah, we all identify as hillbillies. We grew up in Appalachia in the coal country of Kentucky, and we all identify as hillbillies. And, you know, my mom and my grandma all said, we're, you know, we're hillbilly folk. But he says in the book, but if you called me a hillbilly and you weren't a hillbilly, you might be in trouble. So it's interesting. I I, um, I don't know where we where we go with that. I think redneck is sort of similar as one of those markers of identity that 
members of the members of the group of that identity uh, can use it freely, use it comedically, use it seriously, use it with pride, and outside that group, it becomes something quite different. Uh, and hopefully, that's something we're going to be discussing a lot on this show. And if you have words that you would like to discuss in that way, something you have a connection to, we're going to be having a Facebook uh, group that we will set up at a later date. You can tweet me. Uh, Scissortail74 is my Twitter handle. Tweet at me your word, your last word, the word that's bugging you or you're just curious about. This has been episode one of Word Salad. I'd like to thank our guests, Victor Egoren Echais, Jade Roche, and Avishta Siris, and managing producer Jarrett Mansell. Special thanks to our musical guest, Felipe Alberto. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>